Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the MedTech Podcast. You join me, your host, Karandeep Badwell, and in today's episode, I'll be hosting Omar Khatib, who is the Head of Growth at Gentum Health. Omar offers a wealth of knowledge not only in the medtech sector, but through his book club and his YouTube channel. On today's episode, he shares with us the value of his work, his journey of how he got into medical devices, together with the many challenges he had to face. Welcome to the show, Omar. How are you today? I'm doing well, Grandeep. Thank you so much for inviting me on your show. I've uh, followed it on LinkedIn. I think you do a fantastic job as a host. A lot of really valuable information, so it's an honor to uh, to be here. No, pleasure to have you on, Omar. So let's kick off with the first question, Omar. Is how exactly did you get into medtech? What's your, what's your journey? See, I knew this is a great show because people actually don't uh, ask me that very often. It's a great question. So, um, so I'm originally from Texas. I uh, was in medical school at Texas Tech University. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, I just felt out of place. You know, being a doctor was my dream since I was a kid. I, my father was a surgeon. And then halfway through medical school, I just was not feeling it. Um, I'm first generation American, so I have immigrant parents, but my father, even being, you know, as a surgeon, I'm, I'm the first born son. He was very supportive of me because he saw that I was not happy. And he said, hey, you know, if you can see yourself doing other things and you're not happy, like this is not going to get easier. And so I left medical school, um, didn't know what to do. I didn't want to go get like an MBA or something. The last thing I want to do is spend more money going back to school. Fortunately, I had a scholarship from med school, so I didn't have any debt. So I went into door-to-door sales uh, for a um, software, like a collections, uh, software collections uh, company. And I was trying very hard to get into medical devices because I said, oh, you know, I, I think I like marketing and sales. I have, you know, medical uh, education, you know, and the science, scientific background. So like medical technology, medical devices sounds right. Tried very hard. Uh, nobody would talk to me. You know, I, I went to multiple interviews and I kept hearing the same thing from recruiters like, oh, you need to, you need more experience or you're going to have to start out at a distributor or you're going to have to, you know, sell band-aids or something. And, and I just didn't believe that. And lo and behold, uh, at the very top of the medical device uh, uh, mountain, which at the time, I think it's, it still is in a way, but at the time was surgical robotics. Cause there's not even like, I think three or four surgical robotics companies in the world. This one called Mazor Robotics, they were pre IPO, um, had a couple of former medical students who were doing great for them. And they, uh, took a risk and hired me. And that was, you know, that was sort of the big launch of my career was uh, at Mazor Robotics. Okay. Yeah, that's a good story. So Omar, outside of MedTech, I know that you run a YouTube channel where, you know, you talk about different books and things like that. You're quite passionate. You also do mentoring as well. So how exactly did you get involved in that? Is it a case where somebody maybe approached you and, you know, wanted mentoring or is it something that you took on yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, so um, it, it's very similar to how I got into med tech, which was, you know, out of, you know, out of necessity to, you know, I don't want to say survive, but like to kind of move to the next step. So in 2000 and I'd say 14, 15, you know, I'd always been on social media and experimenting with it. But um, right around that time, I think it, yeah, actually closer to 2015, two things happened. One was uh, Mazor was in talks with Medtronic, uh, and we all know that it, that they ended up acquiring uh, Mazor. Um, so my at that time, you know, my my job was dissolved and I was laid off. Mazor was very very good to me, by the way. I, I they have a very special place in my heart because they actually wanted me to stay on 
and go and go back into sales. But I was, I was really, you know, bought into marketing and I was like, that just didn't make sense to me. And I was, I launched a, um, an e-commerce B2, uh, B2C company, fashion inventions company for pocket squares called PS Mister. It's still actually functioning today. My business partner runs it. And so when my job was dissolved, I was living in Orlando, Florida. And I was like, uh, you know, I have the, all this great experience in surgical robotics, but again, it was the same problem where, you know, rec- you know, for every one great recruiters, I feel like there's like 99 terrible ones. They all said the same thing. Oh, if you had just one more year of experience in this or that. And so I said, you know, why am I wasting my time trying to do a song and dance for these recruiters just to get an interview? And I saw LinkedIn and I said, well, I see that people are posting on LinkedIn and the people who I want to work for are there. So why am I wasting my time trying to convince these people about my, my capabilities? So I went to LinkedIn and I said, and I remember how radically uh, provocative it was at the time. People said like, why are you doing this? I would get a lot of pushback from my friends and family. But I said, every week I'm going to write one article, one really well thought out article on leadership, on marketing strategy, you know, something just to show like, Hey, I know what I'm doing. Don't pay attention to, you know, the fact that I have only like three, four years of experience. And so I did that literally for almost two years. And, uh, it took me like about six months to really get traction where some of my articles, one, if you even Google it called democratizing surgery, it was about verb surgical and digital surgery that went viral. And those articles kind of paved my way to San Francisco, to Silicon Valley, because people found out about them took me out to Silicon Valley for restoration robotics. Um, the CEO of Petrero Medical, my next job was reading my stuff when I was a director or when he was a director and hired me. And so that was because of that, like, again, I was trying to find a way to, to move up in my career. But as a result of that, a lot of people were digesting my content and reaching out to me because they said, hey, you know, we've never thought about marketing like this, you know, especially, you know, using digital marketing and social media to market to physicians. You know, and so I wrote a lot about psychology and, 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 you know, mass movements and, and things like of that nature. So that, of course, brought a lot of people both who are younger than me and also who are older for mentorship, for advice. And so then um, the next step was, you know, I'd always been a big reader and I was always trying to tell people like, you know, because this is the superpower I got from, from medical school is reading. So I was always encouraging people like, you know, don't, you know, you don't need to wait to learn about this, like go pick up a book, like read. And, and then I said, you know, I see this shift in social media where all the platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, specifically they're optimizing for video. And I said, you know, as a marketer, I don't want to just be one of these, uh, you know, ivory tower marketers where it's like, oh, I can talk, I can talk to talk, but I can't walk to walk. I was like, I need to learn how to do this. So I decided, okay, I should learn how to make videos. And this is literally with like an iPhone. My first year and a half of doing that show, the, the, the Mindloom show, you can look up, look up hashtag Mindloom on LinkedIn. It was with an iPhone. And so I got access to LinkedIn video early on. And I said, okay, what am I going to do this, this new piece of content about? How do I hold attention? And I said, well, I could do it about med tech, but like, I, I feel like there's only a limited amount there and, and, and someone's going to be like, Oh, this guy's only got a few years of experience. So I was like, you know, maybe not that. And I just, it just didn't move me. And I said, you know what books. And here's the reason why I said books was one. Um, nothing, if there's, if, if you don't want to, if you don't know what to associate your brand with associating it with knowledge and wisdom, 
you can never go wrong, right? It's it's always viable. Number two, I publicly announced this, so it I was held accountable every week on Wednesday. I had to do it no matter what was going on in my life, and so it got me into a rhythm of getting very good of thinking quickly. Okay, I got to read this book. What am I going to talk about? What's going to be the value? So I got better about messaging, about positioning, about content, um, and then more importantly, it put me in a even you know, I was already reading a lot back then. It put me in a higher level of getting through books, reading quickly. Um, and then of course, like, again, I've been doing that for now. This is, I'm well into my third year straight doing that every single week. And as I was doing it more and more on LinkedIn, I realized LinkedIn, you know, a lot of people wanted to watch those videos again. And LinkedIn doesn't really have an easy way to find those videos. So I said, okay, like, let me just start throwing these up on YouTube. And I'm not, trying to grow the YouTube channel, but it's grown, which is really good because it's, if you ever done YouTube, it's very, very hard. That's the reason why those YouTubers make millions of dollars. It's hard to grow a channel, especially around books. Cause not, not everybody's into books. And so that's, that's essentially the long story of how I, how I thought, you know, started doing, you know, book reviews and then putting it on YouTube. And the, and the benefit about books is that one, it keeps me sharp. It, it gives me great ideas. And so a lot of times you can figure out what's going on in my life based on the book that I'm reviewing. So the last like few months, I started a new job at, at Gentem, which is a B2B SaaS company for medical practices. So a lot of the books I've been doing have been either on healthcare or growth or, or, or specific marketing uh, uh, strategies. And it gives me access to the authors, right? So I've been able to interview on my uh, podcast, just amazing author, uh, Mark Roberge, Chief revenue, first chief revenue officer of HubSpot, right? The father of growth hacking, Sean Ellis, just had him on my show. Um, and so uh, it's just, you know, Scott Adams, Scott Adams, you know, war wildly famous author. And he is now a friend. Like I, I literally have his cell phone. I texted him happy birthday. The other day. So, so, so I think the big, uh, you know, sorry for the sort of long story, but I think the biggest thing is that, you know, when you get, when you're, when you're under a lot of pressure, and or your board or both, it forces you to think very creatively about, well, what can I do differently to solve for this problem or obstacle in front of me? And I think part of that is developing bravery. You know, in my, um, in my library here, I have a little tapestry that says courage. And I think that's, that's a big part of, of entrepreneurship about your career and everything, which is, you know, developing the courage to do something really different and really believing in yourself and sticking to it despite the naysayers. And I think whether you believe in God or the universe, or you, you think we live in a simulation, whatever you believe in, the way life is, is that there's no money in easy things. Massive wild success does not happen by accident. And it's almost as though purposely that when you're really onto something, the pressure of society of other people of your family starts to push you down because you have to push through it's almost like going up a mountain the higher you go the, the harder it becomes but if you push through that right like you'll move on to the next level in your career in your life you know that's at least how i like to look at it completely agree with you omar you have a real stoic attitude and you know you believe the obstacle is the way and personally, the way we connected wasn't because you work in medtech. It was because we both love the same books. You know, we both like Robert Greene. And it was through that I realized that you do actually work in this sector. And that's pretty much how we're having this conversation today. And I think, I, I believe you put it in, 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 our, in our previous meeting. Are you reading uh, Psycho-Cybernetics right now by uh, 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 Maxwell? Uh, I forget his name. Are you, was, that, was that you? 
Yeah, so like for the last few months, I've been so busy with work and with the content that I do on LinkedIn, I started to get back into reading. And I swore to myself that every day, half an hour before bed, I'm going to read. And the book that I picked up two weeks ago when we got into contact was Psycho-Cybernetics. That's a great, I was really, let me tell you, I was really impressed that you picked, because that's not a very common book for people to know about, but that's a fantastic book. But it goes, you know, the whole point of it, again, written by a plastic surgeon, the whole point of it is, you know, similar to what I was just mentioning before, which is, you know, you, the words they use, the way you perceive yourself, right, and the world around you, that's going to actually dictate what's going to happen in your life. And I think that's, that's like, if there's a key to success, it's really that. It sounds very cliche, but you have the opportunity to author your own reality. You know, there's great books about people who are in Nazi prison camps and they change their perception of it. You watch the movie, uh, Beautiful, I think it's Beautiful Life, where the guy was in a prison camp, Nazi prison camp with his kid. And he said, hey, this is a game. This is just about survival. And, the, you know, and it, it reframed how things were. And I think if you do a good job of that, and then more importantly, you take action, right? That's the thing. People have wishful thinking and visualizations, but they don't take action. If you have the visualization, you speak and articulate the words about the things you want in life, and you take action towards them, and you stay persistent, things will break through. Yeah, I completely agree with that because people say to me, Karen Deep, you know, how do you have the confidence to do these videos? How do you, you know, make this content? And I'll say to you, you know what, guys, go out and just put it out there. You know, it's like the biggest critique in your life is yourself. It's like every time I watch my videos, I see the flaws, but yet my audience never does. And that's what I say to people. Unfortunately, it's your own self-doubt that holds you back. You know, if you feel that you want to do content, go out there, put it out. And that's how you're going to learn, you know. It's never going to be perfect the first time you do it. That's that's how you basically start. That's a, exactly right. If if there's a skill, you know, I, I really like the idea of developing like very unique skills. And so certain skills, like these are skills really, positivity, confidence. And then, you know, the most, the biggest one, which took me a long time to develop and it's still, it's still hard, but it, it took me a while, not caring not caring about failure, not caring about public, public humiliation. The moment that you get over that, the world opens up to you, you know? Yeah, that's completely right. So, Om, I'm going to ask you the question. So what exactly do you do with MedTech? Please describe me, you know, what is your job? You know, what are you passionate about? What exactly do you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and if you haven't noticed, brevity is definitely not my thing. So <laughs> I try to keep it inside. Yeah, so long story short, I, I built a career as a marketer um, around taking disruptive, paradigm-shifting technologies to market and building a market around them. You know, uh, And this goes around category design. I do not go work for Me Too product companies. I don't work for big companies. I work literally for startups where they, like a market does not exist, category design. So I started in robotic spine surgery. I then went into robotic hair restoration. So I worked for the first, not only hair restoration robot, but ro you know robotic system in the aesthetic world. Um, I launched technically the first fashion inventions company um, Fashion inventions existed, but nobody really branded around that. Uh, went to Petro Medical as the first head, first director of growth in med, in, in med device. People didn't know what that was back then. Um, and they were, we, Joe Urban, the CEO who's still there, uh, came up with a category of predictive health, which had been around, but no, again, nobody marketed, built that category. You, you see press releases and a lot of news about predictive health that started from Petro. Now I'm the head of growth at Gentem Health, uh, 
which is a really exciting, uh, you know, a new thing for me because it's, it's in the B2B SaaS or software as a service. So essentially what Gentem does is it's uh, founded by a Stanford educated physician and a former Facebook software engineer. This the physician graduated from Stanford, decided to um, go into tech, right? Worked in the tech world, then worked in private equity and saw that it made no sense here in America that if you're a physician, you open private practice, you don't know when you're going to get paid or how much because it's dealing with insurance companies. It's extremely complicated. Like no other business. Imagine you want to open a business. You're like, yeah, I'm thinking about going into this industry, XYZ business. And uh, the first hurdle is, well, I don't, you know, I need to get someone to help me with billing because it's not as simple as just sending an invoice. And I'm not going to know how much I'm going to get paid or when I'm going to get paid or I'm going to get paid at all. You would never do it, but this is common in medicine. So essentially what they did is they said part of that is that billing and reimbursements in medicine is extremely complicated. It's not data-driven from the physician side. That's why a lot of private practices can't stay open. So they've built an amazing uh, software platform uh, that essentially a, a, a private medical practice, you know, one to two physicians, maybe five or 10, just depending. We don't, we don't deal with huge, huge groups. You know, they plug into our, our platform. Right. We have a tech-enabled service with certified billers, coders, and revenue cycle managers to help their office. And essentially using data, not only to automate and streamline that entire reimbursement plot process, but we're plugged in into their, into their bank accounts to, 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 you know, uh, to essentially manage these, these, these financial transactions. So we're using data at every step of the way to help inform the physician you know, or, or the therapist, whoever the medical practice owner is, how they can maximize their reimbursements, how to accelerate it, right? And by doing that, now you've taken that administrative burden and cost off the uh, practice owner and they can focus on delivering great quality care to the patient. And the last thing, which is for me, again, very exciting and interesting is that, you know, we develop financial products around this whole platform. So for example, if you're, you know, we had a, a, a mental health therapist uh, who, uh, her name is Tracy. She owns Mountain View Family Therapy, um, and actually, that's uh, that's not a that's not not the best example. The 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 other one, the better example is Dr. Nawobi. He's got a uh, vein health clinic, um, and essentially, when you want to expand your practice as a physician, you you go fill out a long, complicated application form at the bank, and you get handcuffed to a high interest loan. You know, you want to build a building, that's what you got to do. So, what we do is cash advances, which means that instead of going to a bank, we look at your outstanding accounts receivable or, or what people owe you, right? And your future procedures that you're going to get paid on. And then we'll advance the capital to you at no risk. Because if, if something happens and we're not able to collect in the future on those reimbursements, that's on us, right? So, so we act like a true partner, but we essentially advance the capital. You use your own existing claims and your, and your upcoming procedures to get that capital and you're able to expand your business. So it's it's a very, it's a very dynamic and, and paradigm shifting way of thinking about the business of medicine. So that's essentially where I'm at and, and what I do. And as head of growth, you know, growth is a term that comes out of the uh, SaaS and tech world, where essentially, if you think about a funnel, top of the funnel is usually, you know, your traditional marketing, branding, awareness, lead generation, everything towards the bottom is like sales and retention and conversions, all these things. Growth owns that whole thing. It's a very data driven um, uh, a role, um, but it's kind of the best of both worlds. It combines both uh, art and science of marketing. 
Okay, yeah. I mean, at least in the UK, you know, we're very fortunate in the sense that the government, you know, helps with healthcare practitioners in terms of doctors, things like that. You know, regardless of whether they're having customers or not, they're always going to be paid. So the question I have to you is, how has COVID affected that market for you? Yeah. Um, so I joined the company in, in January. So right after like COVID was kind of uh, uh, dying down a bit. So it was definitely tough for a lot of uh, practices last year. But I think the, the best part was that Gentum was able to help these physicians in, in amazing ways. So uh, we had a uh, psychiatrist who owns a TMS practice and he did a presentation showed that when Gentem came on 30 days later, you know, he had less patients coming in because of COVID, but his revenue grew 15%, you know, and that's mainly because of the data-driven technology and strategies that Gentem puts in place. And so we helped a lot of practices through, through COVID. And what's interesting now that I'm seeing here in America is that there's a lot of physicians, uh, therapists, people in, you know, who are in healthcare that because of how their hospital or, cor or, or corporation handled things in COVID, it upset them enough that they decided to leave and start their own practice. I've heard of a couple of like heads of departments, you know, which is a really large role, deciding that they're you know, ending their contract at the hospital and going and opening their own private practice. So COVID, I think, also changed things where it, it, I think it's swinging the pendulum back in the direction of medical providers owning their own business, you know, and having a little bit more control in how medicine is done. Yeah, I mean, Omar, so when it comes to your work and what you do is to do with helping people, that's the nature I get from you. You know, the work that you do is helping people. What you do outside of work is helping people. So what do you get up to outside of work? Great question. Um, <laughs> so outside, outside of the obvious things, which is, you know, I, I love, I love reading. Um, you know, my father, I asked him when I was a kid, um, you know, I, I asked him, I was like, Hey, you know, I went to school and my friends asked me what, what, what's my dad's hobbies. And he said, you know, you'll understand when you get older that for our people, um, and my father is, my father is Iraqi. Um, he's like, for our people, our hobbies, are work. And so my, like one, one of my hobbies is my work. I love marketing. So I, so outside of work, I mean, yeah, I love reading books. I love reading old books on copywriting. The copywriters from the fifties really understood human psychology, but you know, let's get away from that. So, so things I picked up, I'm really into jujitsu. I got into jujitsu a couple of years ago. Uh, wonderful sport because um, it, it teaches you a lot of, uh, a lot about discipline and respect. And what, what's unique about it is at least I'll speak from the point of view of a young, of a young man. Um, it's a great way to <laughs> take out a lot of energy without getting hurt. I mean, you do, you, you can technically get hurt, but, um, but it also teaches you like a lot of life lessons, you know, like I, I had a breakthrough last night. I was, uh, uh, you know, they say rolling or sparring with somebody who's a higher belt. I mean, they were whooping my butt. But in that moment, like I was trying to get a submission on this guy and I had this move right there in front of me that he, I could do. And the guy said, Hey, like, why aren't you going for this one move right in front of you? And I said, Oh my God, I didn't even notice it. And that, and the, the, the pearl of wisdom that I got out of that was that sometimes we get so focused on getting a win in marketing or sales that we're, we're trying these tactics and we're just focused on making this one thing work when in reality, this fantastic fantastic avenue for revenue or, or success, whatever you're defining your KPI is right there in front of you. You just have to stop for a second and 
step back and think about the situation and look what's in front of you, right? So uh, jujitsu is one thing. I recently, um, because of COVID, I was playing a lot on my phone during breaks. And I said, well, I should change that somehow. How can I engineer a different behavior out of me? Obsessed with chess right now. I'm playing chess all the time on my phone, um, which is a, it is really a, a game. A, it like, it's, 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 it's a, it's a very strategic and intelligent game. So I've really gotten into chess. Um, love working out in my garage gym. I built a garage gym with my wife. Um, if you, you know, for those who are following me on Instagram and now I'm putting it on LinkedIn, you'll see a lot of, uh, of my stories from the garage gym. So those are, those are the main things. And of course, I mean, I love hanging out with my wife, cooking and watching movies. Those are kind of the things that I like to do. Yeah. I mean, Omar, you may not realize this, but I've actually, I actually do MMA myself. I've been doing it for the past four years before that was really? actually kickboxing. And I completely agree with you. It's one of the most humbling sports you can have because you've got this guy who's like been training for the last 30 years. And like you said, he'll whoop your butt. But then that just teaches you that, you know, you've got so much to learn in life that you think that you're at this level where maybe I'm an expert. And just by going to something like MMA, you realize so much that you have something to learn. And, you know, that, that's one Absolutely. thing I appreciate about the support. Absolutely. You're, you're so right. And I, I tell, I tell people this all the time that the, the benefit of, of, of MMA, like I love kickboxing, but like, I can't tech, I mean, I could, but I don't want to like go and spar cause I'm going to, you know, I don't want to get like knocked out. Jujitsu, you can go as hard as you want at somebody and you know, you'll be okay. You might get sore, but yeah, it's extremely humbling because to actually get good at it, you have to have the discipline and the persistence, right? to just lose a lot and just, just take it, you know, just water off a of duck's back, just take it one after the other. I mean, look, last night, you know, a guy literally half my side size mopped the floor with me. And then another guy who was a big, he was a big boy. He was like 270 pounds, right? So I'm like, okay, I, I'll be able to move past this. This guy just, again, mopped the floor with me. Like I, I was, I was on top of him trying to like get a choke. And the guy literally bench pressed me up into the air and onto my back, like with one arm. So it's, it's extremely humbling, but there, I think that's, you know, a big key, I think for, for professionals, I tell them is that, you know, we're going to spend most of our time in life right now working. It's either working or sleeping, right? So you better make sure that what you're doing for work, you really enjoy it. And I think that it's, it's further enhanced if you engage in activities outside of work that obviously give you a break from work, but give you exposure to something new and different that's going to help reframe a situation at work. Cause that's what we're getting paid. We're all getting paid to solve problems essentially, right? That's why for me, I mean, yeah, I, I do read business books, but my, my, the, my reading is very, very broad. So outside of the business books I usually review, I mean, I love books on psychology. I love books on history. Um, so I think that's, that's, you know, if you want to talk about a hobby, like that's kind of my hobbies, expose myself to like sort of new things. I love learning. I love learning. You know, even um, there is a there is a guy. Uh, I, I love learning from the third world. And so there's a guy somewhere in Africa. I don't know his his name is he's the egg doctor. Okay, and so he essentially just goes around selling hard boiled eggs, but he's dressed as a doctor. And the way he pulls the egg out and cracks it open, he pretend he, he makes it look like he's a surgeon. He's like doing an operation, but that that. Um, you know, that showmanship, like there's something about that, you know? And so I, I asked myself, like, what about this made me watch this and share it with other people, right? So there's always ways if you pay attention to learn and get really great insights from 
all, all your surroundings. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So, Omar, you've touched on that. You're originally from Texas. You've now moved to Silicon Valley. What trends are you seeing in the medtech world? You know, what is the future going to be like in the, over the next, you know, 5, 10, 20 years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and I just came from a fantastic investor conference. Uh, the um, This is uh, Scott Pentel. If you don't follow him, follow him on LinkedIn. You should have him on your show. Uh, the Life Science uh the, the Life Science Summit, uh, it's, it's our Life Science Intelligence Summit, the big investor conference. So we're, where MedTech is going is where I really felt that it was going many, many years ago, which is more digitization and data. As much as it breaks my heart to say, even ro robots, they're going to get commoditized, right? And so the real value is in the software and data. But the thing that I'm going to say, which will piss off a lot of people in MedTech, is which company is actually going to take the lead and figure out a business model that doesn't involve selling a piece of hardware and then making money off of the disposables, right? That like that, that model, there's nothing special about it. I think it's a good model, a razor, razor blade, but the future of MedTech is really about who can actually develop a business model around data and software. Cause it's very hard. That's very, that's a, that's kind of, I mean, with the exception of like EMR and some things, those are those are very new concepts for, uh, for like for hospitals, right? And so, you know, the future of medtech is really about if you have a piece of hardware. Number one, the classic question is, does what what radical change to workflow and process does it do, right? You know, how does it impact outcomes? But the second thing is, how is data involved in that, right? Um, and so I think the product is, productization of data is, is, is going to be very, very big. Um, you know, I'm in, I'm in SaaS now. And so I've really learned a lot just in the last few months, speaking to SaaS leaders, studying myself about the business, business model and how that works. And I think that's a big thing that that's going to be the future of MedTech. And I think what's going to be interesting is we're going to see a col collision of these worlds. We're already seeing it now. I, I, you know, I don't mean to like brag about it, you know, but even things from marketing. So for me, I, I, I was the first like head of growth in medical devices, right? A few years later, you know, because of the people I mentor, people who mentor me, there's more awareness about this idea of growth in medical devices. How do you implement it? Especially with COVID because people can go to the hospitals, right? And sell them to hospitals. So you're also going to see different investors come in. You're going to see more partnerships. So um, Alcoida, uh, or actually, no, I can't, I can't, I, I don't know if that's, that's public, public yet. Um, I know that, well, I think, no, it, it is public actually, because how else would I know? Like Altoida, which is this predictive brain health company, they're doing really interesting tech partnerships, right? And so when, when tech starts getting involved, med tech starts getting more exposure to these different business models, different ways to sell, to market, to innovate, right? But my big question is, who is going to pioneer the new business model in medtech? Is it going to be the medical device and biotech companies, or is it going to be a tech company? I really don't want a tech company to do it. Maybe it's just an ego thing, but like I'm rooting for our you know peers and medical devices to do that, but they, they're going to have to do something radically different. It's going to be very uncomfortable and it's not going to, it's not going to, you know, succeed or, or, or happen overnight, but that's the, that's where I see medtech going. 
No, I completely agree with you, Omar. Obviously, you know, tech is going to be very profit-driven, whereas medtech is going to be, you know, about actually impacting people's lives and making a change in the world. So, Omar, just to wrap up today, what one piece of advice would you leave for the listeners? I think the one piece of advice I would I would give to listeners is you you are what you subscribe to, right? You are what you consume. And so I would really audit and uh, and check what kind of things podcasts, even Netflix, what kind of things are you subscribed to? What kind of things are you feeding your mind? And upon doing that, I think you'll be surprised that a lot of it is probably garbage. And then the next question I would say is, what kind of things can you replace? You know, if you had to prune, what would you prune off and what would you replace it with? And what I would recommend replacing it with are things that are completely out of your, your realm of comfort, you know? So if you're easiest example, if you're a marketer, right? I would pick up a book like Hacking Growth or Traversing the Traction Gap, you know, go learn from these wildly successful B2B SaaS companies because they are B2B, but how, how do they build their business model? What kind of metrics are they held to? You know, if you're in sales, right? The old uh, model in sales is like, hey, hire a bunch of salespeople who are presidents, club winners, diamond club winners, et cetera, et cetera. They have a book of business, let them go knock on doors. That's outdated. That's meaningless, you know? So what, what are the, what are the growth models and processes that SaaS or tech companies have in place for their sales team? Like, you know, I ask people all the time, do you know, like in, this is a common term SDR, right? Does, do you know what an SDR is? It's a sales development rep. That's somebody who literally all they do is like outbound calls. What's their process for doing that? How do they actually generate a lead? Why is that important? You know, so I think getting exposure to other industries and learning from people who are doing extremely well and saying, hey, how, and, and medicine as a culture, literally, this is all they've done, which is they look at other industries and they say, you know, like in, in, in control towers and airports, they have this way of doing checklists and everything. That's what was adopted. That's why checklists and, and sign offs happen like, you know, before you take a, a patient to, to surgery, right? So we should take from our own culture and really start applying it more to the business world, which is like, hey, I'm not crazy about I don't know, TikTok. I, I'm personally, I'm not, <laughs> but they have insane growth. It's insane. Why? Why did that happen? Right? There's a lot of reasons why, but, you know, so I think getting better about asking questions, looking outward, asking questions, just being hyper curious and, and open to learning. You have to, ha you have to adopt a position of continuing education. Right, you have to. No, so I completely that's, love that's that. My advice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like the way that you're free thinking and you're offering advice, not just within medtech itself, but you know, just to be a free thinker in life, regardless of what career that you're in. But you know what, Omar, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. And I will leave your LinkedIn profile links within my podcast description. And I hope to have you again in the future. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Omar. Thank you for listening to the fourth episode of the MedTech Podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe. If you want to learn more about Omar, you can connect with him on LinkedIn and follow him on his YouTube channel, Mindling Book Reviews with Omar Khatib. If there are any particular topics you'd like for me to discuss in future or any particular guests you want me to bring on the show, then please also feel free to get in touch with me.